Hello, Whiskey Files, and welcome to another episode of Pot Still Radio. As always, I'm your host, Matt Heady, Chief Editor of Potstill.com, your independent Irish whiskey resource where we distill and analyze all the news and releases in the market today. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, the Irish Whiskey Magazine, the only magazine in the world dedicated to sharing the exciting news, lifestyle, and spirit of Irish whiskey. You can find out more at irishwhiskeymagazine.com. And the Tua Glass, a contemporary nosing and tasting glass, a symbol to unify Irish whiskey drinkers across the world. And you can find out more about this beautiful glass at tuaglass.ie. Dave Glair, Fulcherov on Show A on Pastel Radio, Issa Mayanam Maiho Haley, August and you, Tommy on Show in Chantilly Golov in Athena Farga, Andriglan Michel, August Tommy Le Bunathor Michel Podrick. Ramil Wad, Matt, we uh, have to start a course I've been. Tommy Le Fulcherov on Show A, Drugman Michel New, Michel Distillery, where there is Lot of Verlo. Ah, for me, Margaret. Uh, Peter, Ger uh, is is feeling uh, lower in Mierla, Peter. Peter, you can find a good chain. A couple of fuckers there, like impression. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, lads, whiskey files. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Radio, and I am absolutely delighted to be in Galway, uh, in the Mickle Distillery, uh, all out on the Salt Hill Strand with Podrick. The founder and distiller, and his brother in the background. So, pardon any noises we have from the distillery, but I'm delighted to be here. So, thank you very much for having me, Podrick, uh, in your distillery. You're very welcome, and listen, thanks very much for uh, coming down here to, to Salt Hill to, to see us. Delighted to have you here. Uh, we're we're uh, always very welcoming of uh, anyone who's uh, passionate about spirits, wanting uh, or gin or whiskey or whatever it may be. Oh, well, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. And I suppose one of the things for anyone who's listening out there, um, obviously the Potsdill Radio is very much an Irish whiskey-centric uh, podcast, um, but we're here today for one very special reason, that Putchin is very much, I always talk about Irish whiskey being a spirit of Ireland, but this is very much the true spirit of Ireland. It's the original, I suppose, precursor to whiskey in Ireland. It's the Ishkabab prior to being Putchin, before being whiskey as we know it today. Um, but one of the one of the things, if anyone doesn't know Michael Putchin, that you're really, really proud, and I absolutely love this, of being an illicit industry. And it's funny because it plays into Irish whiskey as well. But read me in a little bit into why you absolutely love being previously illicit and bringing it to the fore. Well, I suppose, um, first of all, I was very lucky to have grown up around uh, the distilling tradition and uh, grown up around my grandfather, Jimmy Carroll, who's still alive, uh, 91 today. And uh, he's, uh, I suppose, he gave me great loves of um, various parts of our culture. And putting was actually one of those things. And um, I suppose he was uh, a distiller throughout his life. And the previous uh, four generations before him, so I'm the sixth generation of distillers in my family now. Uh, I'm the only generation to be able to distill legitimately. Uh, so for the previous five generations, it was all illicit. And, um, you know, we're, I'm actually very proud of that, you know, because um, look, there was no way around it. And it kind of, it just, it, 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 it's as authentic as well as our, 
you know, as our heritage uh, can get, you know, and uh, um, I always knew that there was a, a great story to be told, you know, because I'd, I'd heard all the, the stories from my grandfather, grew up around the craft and uh, really wanted to, to bring the craft, I suppose, to, uh, you know, um, a big, bold world out there, you know? Oh, absolutely. I suppose um, for for anyone that's listening um, that doesn't quite know why Putin is is either special or even what it is i suppose give us give us your elevator pitch on on what putting is and why it's special yeah putting is the original irish spirit i mean before we had whiskey we did have putting and um the, the word to, to explain it, it actually comes from the irish word for pot uh so a small pot in irish uh, the irish language is called putting so anything that was distilled in a small pot became known as putting so that's the etymology of the word putting and uh, like I said before, we had whiskey, we, we had putting, and um, yeah, it should be distilled uh, ideally in a, in a pot still. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have a, a maybe a misconception that putting should be made from potatoes, when in reality, believe it or not, putting would have started out its days, this is a crazy thought, but it would have started out its days being distilled from wine and botanicals. And then slowly but surely uh, moving into a grain spirit and out of necessity more so than out of sort of changing culture but uh, basically it was uh, around the middle ages we had this sort of uh, mini ice age which um, led to shortage of uh, wine because the, the grapevines basically they uh, sort of uh, died off in places where they used to grow so guys turned to using uh, grain and that's why we have was poutine and whiskey today being made from grain so not potatoes like of course potatoes could be used but really they, they form a very very small part of the, the heritage and the history there uh, in reality and uh, I suppose the other thing is just I suppose people associate Ireland with potatoes and it's very it's a very easy association to make so uh, when a couple of people started making poutine from potatoes everyone automatically assumes oh poutine potatoes right the, no. love, the lovely South American potato Exactly, you know, it's not even native to Ireland, you know, and it almost killed us because we got too reliant on it during the famine. Absolutely, and I suppose uh, one of the things I talk a lot about um, when we're, we're anyone's face to face when we talk about Irish whiskey, and, and I, I try to like when I talk about the basis of it, it, it I mean putting, you know, and one of the always things I said was, you know, people say about potatoes all the time, and really it would have been farmers or or our our tenants. Um, and it would have been a lot of the time, whatever grain was going out of, it was, was about, about to expire, you'd chuck in a sack, throw it in a bit of water, yeah. put it over a bit of turf, mm-hmm. and you'd make a spirit out of it. And one of the amazing things about that was, it was it would last, it was on a shelf, it yeah. would stay there, and also it was fiercely tradable, and it had a far greater value than the grains that were uh, about to expire. And um, well, obviously, a great life force, especially out this direction of Connemara, um, I suppose one of the last, as well, I suppose, uh, proud holdouts uh, when the British Empire and I suppose Cromwell came a knock and obviously, and I was uh, delighted to tell some American friends of mine today of, they said, why is Galway so special? And it was one of the things I tried to tell them that this is a true, I suppose, Irish city as a real jackine of myself. <laughs> I always point out the Georgian Victorian architecture, look up, look at Dublin, it's a lovely metropolitan city, but when you come here, there's none of that, you know? That obviously there are some Cromwellian influence, but there's the Irish language, the Irish influences, the food, culture, music, uh, even the architecture is, to be honest, a little bizarre, like, and, it, and it really plays to that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I suppose uh, because of our sort of uh, nature ge- geographically, the fact that we're so westerly and the fact that the, the land was uh, generally poor, uh, particularly on the west side of the city, so Connemara really was, was uh, you know, poor land. Uh, now they made a living, but it was uh, fairly tough, you know, for them to, to pay rent. And, and Poitin was um, a way for them to to pay their rents and uh, of course if you made a good potty then it was easier you know, to sell it and uh, it's it's so uh, how would I put it earthy as well you know the fact that they could actually turn you know grain that they had in their land and it didn't have to be you know barley I mean they my, my grandfather would have made it from rye from obviously barley from oats from wheat and they all had their own different characters but uh, as well as again barley was probably the predominant one it was the best one in terms of yield and it was the best one in terms of you know yeah yield and, and uh, I suppose flavour but um, like as he said himself like oats would give a very light uh, kind of um, how to put it like lively kind of spirit whereas uh, barley then would be kind of just your, your kind of pull all around or gave you good yield and also uh, gave you good flavour. Uh, wheat was probably the, the least used one for obvious reasons because wheat was probably the hardest one to grow out there. Rye grew pretty well, but he used to remark that rye was fairly, um, fairly uh, how to put it, uh, tough on the stills. He said that the, the stills used to burn out quicker using rye. So barley wasn't as, as tough on the stills. So anyway, that's, uh, that's one, one of the things there he would have mentioned. But yeah, uh, Galway, um, I suppose, uh, it's one of the reasons the Irish language, I suppose, survived in, in Connemara and the likes, that it was, in, in some respects, maybe, um, I, I don't like to use the word backwards, but it was uninfluenced by commerce, industrialization, etc. Uh, just because it was so far away from that influence, you yeah. know, and the further away you got from, you know, trade and commerce. Now, Galway did have, you know, strong, I suppose, trading and commerce, you know, um, you know, depending on what era we're talking about, but uh, that kind of explains why the, the, the city has kind of this, uh, you know, core to function. And, uh, of course, it explains as well why you'll probably see that there's quite a lot of uh, people here that are uh, fairly dark, dark skins, dark hair, and, and really uh, we as do I, trade. As I look at your dark yeah, eyes, yeah, and dark we, hair. We, that, that's been proven. <laughs> like I suppose there was, there was a documentary done recently, and genetics of people locally were tested, and uh, they were they were found to have strong uh, Spanish uh, genetic influences. You know, so it's 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 not like the Spanish are mad at that kind of came ashore. It's it's. You know what's more uh, plausible actually is that uh, the traders just sort of uh, mingled, we'll say, with mm-hmm. the locals, and, and that's it. So Galway does have, uh, out of all the cities, I think in, in, in Ireland, it has its own kind of uh, uh, special way about it. I don't know if you find the same, but you know, for me, that's what we see. Absolutely, and I suppose um, we're we're talking about the one, and here's here's actually a, a question for you that I've I've always I always love asking. Uh, especially very Um <laughs> We say anything, we're talking about putching being a little pot, any word in Irish ending mean being something that's little, and chig house and chigging small house. You know, putch, pot, putching, small pot. So I always love, um, as I was growing up, uh, my father in particular would always tell me about the local schlieving. Yes. <clears throat> so my always question, the local schlieving, for anyone doesn't know, be like the local messer or the... I don't know if that's p- perhaps too polite of a word. <laughs> 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 but we'll leave it at messer. So what's your sleeve? 
What's a what? What a sleeve. The, if the E was a little part. Well, to me, like, I mean, uh, like, um, you know, it's, it's probably not used around my area that much, but uh, the, the sleeve part, I mean, literally, what we interpret it as, as, as mountain, but uh, I mean, uh, maybe you could explain sleeving a bit, a bit more to me, you know? Ah, uh, no, 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 different no, words. Uh, well, that's the thing that's coming from the East Coast. There's, there's different phrases, different, different, even particular ways of pronouncing things. Yeah. I know <laughs> we have, we have different ways of pronouncing Tashkon, which is a particular favorite word of mine, yes. which you pronounce it as Tishkon. Exactly. So sure, we're, we can hardly agree on anything. <laughs> well, at least we'll agree. We're, we're, Dublin's good at football, and you're good at hurling. So Definitely, I agree on that one. I agree um, on that one. But yeah, so so it was the local schlieving in our areas would always have been the local messer, the local wheeler lad, dealer. wheeler dealer, yeah. lad at the end of the bar who could definitely sell you a good pint of something or or you could fix the wheels in your car or yes. something. Um, but it always would have been, it was just, I always thought it was a funny because the way it would have been it spelled to me would have been the same, I thought at N at the end of the word, something little. And I always love putting the people because I always get 300 different answers and they never mean the same thing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another thing about Ian. Uh, if you add that to something uh, like a noun or a person's name, it's actually a thing of endearment. You know, how are you Shawnee? You know, it's like, how are you kind of uh, Sean McBody kind of thing? You know, so yeah. that's, um, you know, how's my little Sean? You know, all that kind of way. That's, yeah. that's, that's uh, one of the ways we, we definitely interpret it, yeah. It's definitely not the way I used it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for Stevie. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but uh, I suppose then you're talking about your grandfather. Um, and, and is this is this where your 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 passion of obviously the, the putting comes from or or was it before that? Was it your father? Was it your was it an uncle? Where where did, where did it come from? Yeah, again, I suppose my, my grandfather was probably like a father figure to me uh, growing up. Um, he was a small farmer, so I loved, I suppose, everything about that sort of way of life, you know. Um, I, I now see, you know, how it keeps people very grounded and everything like that, and it teaches you great lessons about life, but uh, I just genuinely loved it. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, um, we, we keep Connemara ponies at home, and I think that may... Like the best way to sort of that may be the best analogy to use uh, when you grow up around something and you actually do love it you know properly or really uh, have a passion for it, it it's like a disease like you're not able to kind of uh, sort of go without it you, you kind of it's almost like you're, you kind of grow up immersed in your passion you, you don't um, it wasn't kind of experimentation or whatever you know it, it, it's just all sort of kind of around you all the time and it, it's hard not to so either you love it or you don't and you kind of uh, you embrace it or you don't embrace it and for me we just I just embraced it you know so that was that was that really you know but it's on my uh, mother's side of the family there so uh, lived right beside my grandfather and again I was just very lucky to have grown up around that uh, you know or, you know around that culture but I suppose what may have helped everything is that uh, my grandfather was a, a great storyteller so maybe uh, he was really able to you know, uh, sell these ideals and these this this culture. You know, uh, a bit better maybe than someone who wasn't as skilled as a storyteller. So I suppose him and you're saying earlier, a Shanaki of, of sorts, if yeah. not just a plain old Shanaki. Yes. Um. So being a great storyteller, um, like one one of the questions I always just love trying to figure out, what what did he do with it? 
you know, what is it? Did he sell it to people? Did he just give it to people? Was it, as I said, my grandmother was a, was a great woman, a pioneer, didn't drink at all, <laughs> and had putching around the house for her knees, of all things. Yeah. Um, like, where, where did your grandfather's outlet go, or was it simply just, to, just for the family? Um, there, there was a bit of both. Uh, like, he definitely would have sold it um, locally, like, to those who needed it. But uh, it would have gone further afield as well. Uh, so he told me himself that uh, there would have been uh, people with uh, a fairly Republican background who used to turn up every now and again for um, decent quantities, we'd say. And uh, he never really knew exactly where he was going, but he knew that uh, these weren't the Indians. <laughs> they weren't the local the local folk that would have collected smaller quantities, particularly on Christmas or for special occasions. They were probably the, the bigger customers, if you like, you know, and it was a, a real uh, special uh, thing for them, you know, when they got it, especially if it was made properly and with, with, with passion. But people used to come from far and near, really, to, to get his stuff. Um, I suppose probably because of the, the quality or whatever, you know, but um, yeah, made some good stuff. So yeah, uh, it was a mixture of locals and, and people from, from further afield, yeah. But uh, I think they were some of the more interesting uh, characters <laughs> to, to come and collect it. And, um, but actually, it, it, it's funny that um, they actually would have sold as well to uh, to the Garvey, like themselves, you know, in, in former times. And uh, this wouldn't would be very recent now, but uh, a long time ago. Um, and it's funny, a guy would have had land right beside Nichols house. And, uh, Nichols being your... My great-great-great-grandfather. You know, it's a lot of brand. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's uh, five generations before me. But uh, he uh, he would have been, uh, I suppose, it was a tough situation to be in. If you were in with the authorities, you were, but you also had to play ball with them. So one of the, one of the uh, guards at the time asked uh, this guy, he's called Barclay, he asked him, will you uh, deliver a gallon to the, to the station? And he said, what? Gallon to the station? He said, how the hell am I going to do that? He said, Bring it to the station, I said, and he says, Bobby said, there's no problem. So, turns up to the station, uh, sweating it, kind of looking around to see was there anyone around or whatever. Uh, didn't see anyone. So, he had in a Hessian bag this gallon of pudding. And it was the strangest thing ever, he said, you know, to enter into a, a garden station with, with a, a bag uh, of, uh, you know, with, with a, a illicit pudding on his yeah. back. And he sat there and uh, just kind of be worried, like, you know, and who walks in? But um, I suppose the, the, the superintendent, like a, a guy who was, uh, you know, I suppose regionally significant. And he nodded at him and he thought, oh, I'm, I'm done for now. But he wasn't. So his friend came out of the office, gave him a wink and said, cheers, we look after you soon. And off he went. But... To, to this day, he, he believed that that gallon was actually for the super and not for anyone else, which is why it was all very hush-hush, just come in, give us the gallon. And we, Say nothing. We pay. And of course, he was paid and all the rest of it. Like, you know. But that was another thing, I suppose. Uh, sometimes, um, I suppose, through blackmail or whatever, some people would be saying, oh, yeah, we'll buy it off you. And they may never pay you. And I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you know, you don't want them rapping on you. Yeah, yeah. So there was a bit of that that you had to be watchful of who you sold to. Pretty never so, sell it to them again, either. Well, this is it, yeah. But I suppose what you didn't want to do either is sort of, um, yeah, you, you wanted to keep people, I suppose, on side as much as possible. It was very political. 
So it wasn't all kind of black and white, you know. There was uh, people there that you, I mean, there were, there were drunks, like, and you, you didn't, uh, I suppose, want to be fairly responsible. You didn't want to give them more drinks, so you had to limit what you gave them, you know, or else turn them away, you know, I don't have any. Because yeah. uh, they were the very people who would maybe get themselves in trouble and then, and then follow yourself, the trail yeah. back to you. So, I mean, it's not so different to what publicans, you know, do in terms of, I suppose, trying to get people to drink responsibly. The protein distillers, uh, in, in most cases, were uh, equally responsible. Yeah. I, I think it's funny you say about the, the old school garden sergeants or the super. Um, I remember my first time I was, I was very young. Um, um, well, actually, it was probably about. I was working in a bar, uh, depths of West Cork, um, and it was. I think. I think I might have been maybe seventeen, eighteen at the time, and uh, I remember the first time I ever got asked that I wanted to be in a lock-in. <laughs> lock-in for anyone who who doesn't know out there. I presume you just took it with open arms. Well, no, actually, one of the things was I was I was terrified because I was I was there just collecting glasses, you know, and they said, "Do you want a lock-in?" Which is obviously to these days. The, the most golden sentence you can ever hear in the world. The doors, the door is shut, the blinds pulled, and you drink to whenever you want it. Um, and I was terrified. I'd never been a a, a Jackie, a Dublin boy, you know, guards everywhere. I'd never been in a lock-in at the time. And I, and I looked at the owner and I said, Jeez, oh, what if the guards come? You know, what if the police come? And he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, the sergeant's in the corner. And the, the local guard, the sergeant, came with the, week, the wink of the nap, <laughs> full uniform, obviously off-duty, of course. Yes. Um, but it, uh, it's always that kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit as well in the stories. Um, and I suppose I was telling you a little bit earlier before we, we picked up the microphone that uh, I, I uh, had a, a tenuous connection to a, an old uh, uh, putching inspector in Connemara. And uh, one of the stories he always came out with was the best putting still he ever sees was still running in his back garden. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose there is there is a there is a good. I well, was thinking about that one uh, that the best one he found uh, went into his back garden. Um, I'll let you read between the lines on this one, but uh, there was, we'll say. Um, a distiller back our way who I can't name but uh, I hope you don't <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble either his, his, uh, his, his still was uh, part of his still was confiscated the worm oh. which is you know the condenser part and that was very, very important <laughs> very important because uh, and very hard to make and very yeah. hard to come by and uh, this this distiller anyway happened to have a, a good relationship with uh, with, with, uh, with the Gordon Lee I suppose at the time and his friends and uh, brought, brought him a, a Christmas present. Uh, he brought him a, a worm out of the, the barracks, uh, <laughs> you know, to say, listen, there you go, now you're sorted again. Uh, it would have actually come out of the, um, there was a garden station there on Eglinton Street at the time. And uh, it was called um, um, on Baddock Yarrick, you know, the, the red barracks. So the red barracks there, and uh, that's where it came out of. <laughs> but it happened to have been the same worm that he had confiscated. Yeah, I, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you more. <laughs> you wouldn't know anything about that. I anyway. look. I, I said it off about it. Fair, 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 fair. <laughs> um, so I suppose uh, a lot, a lot of this uh, obviously uh, the passion came from uh, passion for your, from your grandfather, um, and uh, how how different is what you're making today from what he made? Like what what I suppose uh, first of all. What age were you read into the fold? Like, and then, and secondly, 
you know, how is he doing it compared to how are you doing it now? And I suppose it's legal for you now. And just give us a rundown of that. Um, I suppose in many respects, it's it's a lot easier for me. Um, like it's easier for me to come by malls, whereas he would have had to make his own malls. It's easier to get kind of yeast and all the rest of it. Um, you're not looking over your shoulder, obviously. Uh, so it, it's it's much easier in some respects. Commercially, it's a lot more challenging, obviously, because everything has to be done right. Um, but in terms of recipe, uh, like this is done indoors, whereas all of his was done outdoors, and anything I learned was done outdoors. Uh, I was probably 14, 15, I suppose, when I saw the first turn, as we call it, being made. So we, we use this um, turn of phrase, like, you know, that. Uh, did you do a turn of protein? You know, to turn, and it's like, yeah, I did. You know, so a turn was to, you know, make a batch of wash, still it, and uh, you know, bottle it and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, so um, probably got a bit more uh, into it then when I was in my probably in my twenties, uh, you know, and uh, just developed uh, probably uh, a, a bigger appreciation for it then. After that, like you know, but. Uh, very much part and parcel, you know, there's probably stories up until the time I was 13 years old and then, you know, managed to, as you say, get into the fold. But uh, yeah, um, uh, consistency is a big thing here. We have to be like very consistent now. Uh, and I guess we have, you know, we can use thermometers and we're, we have to be much more accurate about measurements. But it was, it was incredible to see, you know, the way that he would have judged correct temperatures just by touching the uh, the wash or touching the wort, touching the water, you know, and judging amounts just by eye and uh, knowing when things are right, you know. Uh, so so there was there was genuinely, you know, people talk about craft these days, and uh, you know, they didn't have to uh, how to put it talk about the craft. It was just it, it just was their craft, you know. They uh, like even stuff down to the detail of how they sealed their stills, you know, with, with lutein. And lutein is a mixture of like flour and uh, porridge. And, you know, they mix it together with water and pack it into the joints where the head would meet the, the pot and where the liner would meet the meet the, the worm and all the rest of it. And it was just such a simple way, you know, of, uh, you know, getting everything so right. But, and, and that's where the, where the craft is, you know. Uh, there really was so much craft. There was uh, not a lot of mechanization, you know. And even filtering the wort. Um, I mean, obviously we don't use header now to filter the wort because what we have is a false bottom in the still. So from a from a hygiene perspective, because we have to repeat the process, you know, very regularly, uh, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be as practical either. But I mean, uh, they had you know such such you know, brilliant methods of, of getting everything done and uh, just using everything that they had, they had around them. They were just so resourceful. Uh, so, of course, we had to be resourceful as well because we were not a part of the, you know, big funding. But, uh, yeah, they were very resourceful and were, they had a great craft. So, in, in essence, I think it's just, you know, we're doing it indoors and uh, we have a lot more hoops to jump through, uh, whereas the craft is very much the same, but uh, probably... Uh, probably easier for me in some respects to do it, yeah. And I suppose, what are the um, main, I suppose, botanicals? Because I suppose people that aren't, don't know, you know, protein yeah. and being base spirit whiskey, and I know you can macerate the botanicals in the still itself, mm -hmm. if I'm yeah, not correct. mistaken. Yep. Um, 
and and I suppose I, I want to kind of dive into what you do with that because that's that's quite unique to what you do as well. Mm-hmm. And then also just is is it kind of a the same tentacles, the same kind of setup that that your again it would have been would have been handed down from generation to generation, and uh, I I knew no differently. So I suppose um, again I probably didn't read up a huge amount on every minute detail until I was probably you know. Um, you know, in, it, in, a, in a commercial sense, but uh, I just took the craft, I suppose, and uh, kept it going as my grandfather would have done it. But Bogbean was actually one of the botanicals, and it's the, the only botanical that we use in nickel, and uh, basically we, we put that into the pot with the wash, and um, basically the, the flavours, they, uh, like the essential oils in that botanical, they evaporate, uh, or they're vaporised with the alcohol, so it's kind of like gin in a way. And it's interesting that Jane and Putin have a shared heritage because Putin was originally distilled from wine, believe it or not, and botanicals. And it's really interesting to see that the bog bean is one of those botanicals that has lasted for so long. Uh, so um, a friend of mine there, uh, Finan O'Connor, he uh, writes for the Irish Whiskey magazine. He, uh, he was he the first one. He might write for himself as well occasionally. Pardon? He might write for his own book occasionally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does, he does. For Plato, he's a good guy. But uh, he enlightened me about the Red Book of Osri, which is a manuscript, and uh, it's, it's a middle 14th century manuscript, and it describes, I suppose, the earliest distillations of aquavitae or putty or whiskey, whatever you want to call it. And um, in that manuscript as well, uh, there is mention of the use of bog bean, which we use, and bog cranberry. And it's amazing to think that has lasted, or, you know, that tradition has been come down for, for so many generations. Uh, and and, and uh, of course that there's a written record there, yeah. but um, I suppose most of the tradition that I would have picked up was all oral. There was no written textbooks or anything like that. You and, know. and back to the Shanaki exactly. aspect of the oral Irish history. Yeah. And I suppose even even for myself, like tell me about Bogbean. What 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 is it? It's it's a relative of the water lily, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, it it grows fairly. Um, Plentifully in Connemara, it grows in, in kind of marshy kind of peatlands. So it's it's they're they're probably the wettest areas you'll find. It's it's not uh, how would I put it? It's not a lake or anything like that. Although if it's if it's calm enough in that area, they, they can they can grow. But you'll find it in sort of areas that are uh, yeah just wet peatlands and silts sort of uh, uh, silty areas. You know where they have enough kind of uh, material there to grow from. But they're they're quite hardy and they flower beautifully around May. May or June, depending on the year, you know, the years here, the you know, the seasons they're a bit uh all the shop. Fair enough, fair enough. So I suppose we're talking about peatlands. Am I allowed to ask You are what what, <laughs> what do I have in my glass right now? Uh, as we hear a little bit of a rain at the Yeah, uh, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about it. I won't spill the full beans on it now because, the full bad beans. because yeah. <laughs> Because uh, we do have to uh, leave that, that full story for another little bit. Another absolutely, motor, another absolutely. Motor, so. But uh, we're doing something that hasn't been done in quite a long time, either in Irish whiskey or in putting. And what I'll say is that um, a lot of malting, when malting was being done, and most distillers would have malted their own barley or their own oats or wheat or whatever. So two traditions in putting. Uh, one of them was using mixed grains, so you'd use barley, or and you would, may use as well oats with it. And uh, 
the oaths, uh, you know, had a very good function in, in the sense that uh, when, when the old uh, distillers were actually using it, it would have created this sort of, um, how do I put it, layer on top of the, the um, when they were brewing, uh, it created this layer on top of the wash, I should say. So when the wash um, would start kind of fermenting, uh, the, 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 the oats would actually form this layer on top. Anyway, that's the oats bit. So there's oats in, in this mash bill. We wanted to recreate that tradition. The other tradition is uh, drying uh, your malt using peat. And of course, the Scottish have really kept up that tradition very strongly. And uh, we certainly wanted to, to bring this back to, uh, if you like, you know, back to reality, back to, you know, where people could actually taste, you know, peated, malted grains uh, grown here on Irish soils, but also peated here with Irish peat. So really given the, the, the drink like a real sense of terroir, if, if, for, for want of a better word, you know. But without using all those fancy terms, we wanted to, you know, I suppose, recreate that old tradition, you know. And I think that's going to be a, a very cool project. I don't know what you're going, which way you're going yes, with that. Or not. Is, uh, we're actually releasing it as a special edition. Um, so limited quantities available. And uh, yeah, we're, we're very, very excited about it because we, we think actually uh, potting is a very uh, sort of poorly understood category. And we really feel that this is actually going to, I think, give the category a lift you know, to show that not only uh, is Mikkel kind of like a, a serious sort of uh, brand, but also that we're actually making great, great liquid as well. And that we're not just, how they put it, uh, we're, we're not just making any of Poutine that we really respect, I suppose, tradition. But we also respect that, that Poutine and, and whiskey isn't a one-dimensional thing. You know, of course, this and Jenison has done a fantastic job of communicating what whiskey, what Irish whiskey is, uh, and of course you need to simplify it in the early days in terms of getting people to understand it but for us uh, now we're at the at the point where people do have a basic understanding of what Irish whiskey is and now we have this opportunity I suppose to uh, get people into Irish poutine as well but we do need to also tell them hey poutine isn't just this there's more there's more to it it's it's it has more story to it so let me ask you this right you're in the distillery here which we're in this beautiful wood-clad tasting room. Your great, great, great grandfather is looking over us in about 30 different spots. <laughs> the distillery is downstairs. Yes. Your brother is working downstairs as we speak. Yes. What is, what, what are the, um, I suppose, what are the challenges working with family? Is there, is there, I know he, the two of you are kind of asking a, a, a few minutes ago, uh, literally about recipe. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it is. Are you delighted to be working with your brother? Is he? Is he as passionate about as you? Uh, and I don't mean he's not. I just mean. Yeah. What are the? I suppose one of the funny challenges of, of living this legacy with with the family here. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing to be able to have him here. Uh, it's it, it's it's wonderful that he's uh, you know able to be become a part of it and. Uh, you know, I, I see that he's incredibly passionate about it, about it himself, and uh, it, it is great to bring more family into it. Of course, uh, family does bring its own kind of challenges to it, uh, 
in the sense of over familiarity and everything like that. But you know, uh, look, I suppose we haven't been working together, you know, for for a very long time or anything like that. But uh, it's all going well. I've just, I suppose, I've heard different stories from different families that how it can get complicated and all the rest of it. But you know, to be honest, we have a very uh, open and honest kind of uh, you know dialogue and uh, conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so essentially, yeah. It's really, look, look. We're we're very. Uh, there's no kind of how would I put it. Uh, uh, walk on eggshells. We just kind of say it as it is. Like uh, if you don't like it, you know, it's it's kind of like you know, well, whatever. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. But we, we speak very frankly about things, and uh, I think that's that's key. You know, and uh, yeah, there's no need. You know, <laughs> uh, we do get on. You know, thankfully very well, and. Uh, yeah, um, it, it's it's an interesting one, of course. Uh, it, it is really nice. I, I, I never thought about it kind of in the way of, isn't it nice to have family in? But now that you remind me, it, it's wonderful to actually have more than just myself, you know, um, you know, a part of this. And uh, I suppose my grandfather, he's 91, like he's, he's uh, still going strong, has his body put in a week, and he's very much involved as well. Like he was very uh, important in terms of making sure that the recipe was right from the start because uh, like he definitely wouldn't uh, stand over it if, it if it wasn't right he'd say look you know he wouldn't be very harsh in the way he'd say it like but he'd kind of say look you know you, you probably need to to work at that a bit more you know that kind of way you know so uh, hard man to please actually in many ways you know very particular about things you know? <laughs> so uh, it's good to have that sort of environment where it's yeah, not yeah. just us grand yeah it's grand Neil Shagamara Kerba yeah yeah well, look, uh, he might he, in a much more subtle way saying yeah. it like but um, but he, don't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't kind of say to you oh it's, it's lovely or it's grand yeah you know it's, it's fantastic or it's you know maybe you need to work at that a bit more you know all right. Well, so then I actually had a, another question lined up for you, but you've, you've spun me in a side side direction, and I, we will finish <coughs> up now in a moment. But I actually saw a documentary with yourself uh, yes. on uh, TG Carr, uh-huh. um, and I suppose um, one of the, one of the questions I actually want to ask was about grandfather and the fact that TG Carr in particular were doing, I suppose, a documentary on yourselves and the your. You know, there, yeah. yeah, and what was I suppose for yourself? Obviously, great publicity, great fantastic spotlight. But what was that like for your grandfather in the sense that he would spent so long doing it on the fly? I guess to yeah. have it literally, and especially a scale of it as well. I know. Uh, well, first of all, like to be quite honest with you, I think uh, if he was you know around this day and age, like he. He loves talking. Uh, he's very charismatic, and uh, I think he'd love a career in like TV or radio. He'd be perfect, like you know. And uh, just people really—they're they're very drawn to him, like you know, like um, you know, some old people. Unfortunately, they don't get many visitors, but like he—he he gets played like with visitors, you know, <laughs> just because they love his stories and all the rest of it, like you know. But it's wonderful for him. He's probably, he probably gets more visitors than myself, but. Uh, yeah, there, there was a there was a bit of um, how to put it uh, thought to be put into you know, uh, are we happy enough to, to say this that and the other? And, and in reality, I suppose he was kind of like, well, listen, I'm I'm this age now, like I mean, you know, fairness, this is if I can't say it now, like you know, you know, when am I going to say it? So he was like, you know, in his very you know brazen attitude because that's the way he always was. You know, he was he was always uh, he was open about it. And he said, yeah, sure, look, what are they going to do to me now? Do you know, and I think, like, you, you could have the toughest kind of, uh, you know, person in the world watching that, and they sort of say, look, isn't that great, to be honest with you, you know? 
I think that's absolutely fantastic. So I suppose the last thing I want to ask you is, um, you've set up now, obviously going strong. What would be like? What was what was something that took you off guard? Uh, something you didn't expect coming in the line, whether it be in production, sales, marketing. So obviously, there's lots of things setting up a distillery, especially a pushing distillery where you're not, you know, you're in an unfamiliar category. Ignore all the obvious big red flags. Something that really caught you off guard that kind of that kind of spun you a little bit. Uh, maybe it was, you know, we're talking to. Um, Pierce Lyons, uh, uh, Connor Ryan, Spirits Ambassador there, he was talking about, you know, the actual like process of, mm. of bottling and getting everything in the right place, the right time logistics. Was there something that you thought would be an absolute cinch mm. that turned out to be a pain in the ass? Or even something like we're talking uh, before to uh, Tullamore, uh, Kevin Piggott and Tullamore Jew, and he was saying that there's, there's, you know, there's experiments they do and they just don't go right. And, and there's, you learn from it. You don't, you don't just sweep it under the rug and I think it's great to embrace that. Is there either of those something yeah. that blindsides you, or perhaps even something that didn't go right that, that you learned from? Yeah, two things, uh, I suppose, uh, there's actually probably two big things. One thing was just before I uh, got going, uh, it was actually getting the, um, the license uh, to, to begin here in the first place. And it, it, uh, it was a process I thought wouldn't take, you know, as long as it did, but. Um, you see, we were applying for the license, and the local uh, revenue officers, I couldn't speak highly enough of them because they were so so supportive. Not not all of them originally, but uh, once I actually got to deal with one person in particular there, I was um, I was you know very well looked after, and and, and uh, very it was very a pro business kind of relationship. But and it has been ever since. But uh, my God, it took months, and I tell you, um, the challenge was we were the first people as was to and we still are the only people actually distilling here in Galway. There was there was a lack of um, understanding and knowledge and expertise there and it just didn't know what to do. But the, the Galway uh, crew were, were there said, look, we're happy to, to kind of do this, you know, and uh, we were happy to give this guy permission. But uh, unfortunately um, there was a couple of grey areas here. We, we are right beside a bar. Uh, so there was a couple of concerns. But basically what was happening is what they call in Spanish Minana uh, <clears throat> in typical kind of civil servant sort of uh, you know uh, you know when, when things get held up the, the decision wasn't being made there was, there was a decision there that could be made and it wasn't we'll made and what happened was we'll do it tomorrow yeah and uh, basically uh, I have to thank him Eamon uh, O'Keefe has been a, a huge advocate of, of uh, this business from day one but he, he was also kind of a, a great advocate of businesses in general like because you know, you know business if they can employ people really lifts a place and he saw that you know the culture uh, and the, the social and the economic side of this, and it really you know he could see all the benefits. So, in, in, in uh, to give him full credit, like you know he was the one who started it out for me. He he spoke to the right people and said, "Listen, uh, like he didn't sway them in any way. He just said, what's the decision on this? Why yeah. is the decision being made? We need a decision either way.' And thankfully, they came back actually with the right decision. It only took them a day, so he would have phoned them on Wednesday." Uh, my revenue officer in Galway got a phone call on Thursday and he rang me straight away and he was like I actually feel like Santa Claus here he said you know I've got great news and I was like what is it we're giving the go ahead so I was like brilliant it was uh, it was such uh, an exhilarating and brilliant moment like I was just thrilled to bits um, who was the first call it was the f- pardon who was the first call who did you call first to tell 
Uh, I think my mother, either my mother or actually outside my, my grandfather's house. I think I, I, I spoke to my mother first of all. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before um, you went back inside. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just uh, explained the news, but it was uh, it was all kind of a bit of a whirlwind. We just got going and uh, yeah. But uh, I suppose one of the other uh, big challenges that we came up against, I suppose, was, was money, like, you know, and uh, you have to remember, I suppose, it is a startup, and, um, like, there were times there, I suppose, over the past two years, thankfully, touch wood, in a much better uh, financial position now, like, but we're not, <coughs> not by any means kind of uh, rolling it, and I think a lot of uh, distilleries would identify with this, but uh, just, I suppose, uh, it, it's very easily spent and uh, like if you don't have enough kind of sales to kind of uh, keep it all going like there's so much going out you have know, all these uh, uh, regulatory costs and Tax. marketing costs taxes you know it, it's it's uh, it's actually more challenging you know to run a distillery than it's a brewery the breweries get a, a, an excise rebate of, of 50 percent we get no rebate we pay the exact same excise duty as the the big distilleries you know which is a bit unfair but anyway look we're, we're here we're we're doing, we're, we're doing it we're doing yeah. it like you know but um it was uh, i have to tell you it was kind of the point where we kind of broke beyond that sort of challenging period and uh i had entered ireland's best young entrepreneur two years in a row and uh you won galway I, I didn't win galway like this last year i should say but that was my third year doing it but the, the, the first year i came so close and that was just that idea phase. And then I was in it the year after in, in startup phase and I was probably a million miles off it because we just we just weren't at the at the right place and the competition had become, you know, so fierce in it, like, you know, uh they, they raised the age bracket like so people could be they were a bit older than me, like, you know, and they were able to kind of uh, you know, they had much more established businesses, so we weren't within an asses role in the whole thing, you know. But then uh towards the end of last year then applied for it again and uh you know, uh, one of the business partners here, Ross, he was saying, Park, man, I tell you one thing, man, if you don't win that, he said, I don't know what's wrong. Uh, not with you, he said, but with them. And he said, you're going to win it. Like, I guarantee you, that everything will come up here. Like, and, and to be fair to him, uh, he was actually right. We were, in, we were in a much better position. And thankfully, we won it. And that was kind of the start of, you know, kind of going back up from a bit of a low period where it was tough. So... That, that was kind of, yeah, the, the financial challenge was something, I suppose, that uh, I probably, I knew we were starting very bootstrapped, but I didn't think that it was, uh, you know, didn't think it was, you know, come so close. Absolutely. Well, okay, close. <laughs> well, thank you for the honesty. I mean, that's that's obviously something a lot of people don't get to see, you know. No. So I would say thank you very much. We're coming definitely towards the end of me. Thanks yourself. In Chakchavina, Aris, and the Riglon. I would say... Uh, on sauce the Vion Show and you. I'm delighted to be here today and uh, thank you so much for your time and I say Slan Chagas from Irelat. Grimmy Wad. Thanks a million. And if the listeners are going to find you online, where they find you? Website, Twitter? Yeah, we have a, our website is uh, www.nickeldistillery.com.ie, I think, yeah. And our handle on uh, Facebook, Instagram is at Mikkel, so M I C I L, uh, at Mikkel Distillery, actually, yes.
And if anyone wants to subscribe to this podcast, you've got Potstill Radio on iTunes. You can also follow along on Potstill.com. Or if you want to reach out to me uh, directly on Twitter or at Potstill underscore, absolutely an amazing time sitting here in the Nicholas Degree. And thank you very much once again. Perfect, you much. Pretty much.